immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, brought to you by 1618 Digital. Today, host Oliver Cadell is joined in the studio by Tom Windsor, Pip Brignall, and Kuzi Chihuahua from the VR startup Reality Check Productions. Tom founded Reality Check Productions after first being introduced to VR in 2016, bringing in Kuzi and Pip as the writer and producer respectively. They're working on their first project, Macbeth VR, a 360-degree adaption of the famous Shakespearean play. Today, Oliver and the Reality Check team discuss the development of Macbeth VR, interpreting and adapting Shakespeare to new media, as well as collaborating with partners and difficulties with securing funding. Hey guys, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? Very good. Good. Looking forward to it. Very well, thank you. Hello. <laughs> good to have you here. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about how did you get into this industry? Tom? So, yeah, hi, I'm Tom Windsor. Uh, I set up React Chat Productions about a year, year and a half ago. Um, I got into the industry when, in, yeah, summer 2016 is when I first got introduced to VR. I come from, like all of us, from a, a kind of a theatrical background and did some courses at Raindance where I kind of heard virtual reality getting thrown around. Um, I was doing some kind of writing and directing courses there, some short courses, and that kind of spiked my interest. And then did my first VR experience that summer. And then from then was kind of hooked and working on ways to be able to tell stories in, in virtual reality and then kind of augmented reality in the future from, from then on. Hi, I'm Kudzanai Chihuahua. I am in terms of Reality Check Productions, um, coming on as the writer. Um, I got into it through Tom, actually, after he'd had the whole Raindance Festival experience, um, approached me about writing and adapting. Um, And then when we had the idea, Tom and Pip had the idea um, for the Shakespeare, they um, then kind of corralled me into this whole sort of adapting of it. Um, So that's how I've gotten into it. Hello, I'm Pip, and I am the creative producer of Reality Tech Productions. Tom asked me to come on board, um, I'd say, about nine months ago. I was I knew about it beforehand. Tom and I um, have known each other for a long time, um, and I'd kind of been on the sidelines, pretty sceptical about VR, to be completely honest. Uh, and then he came to me with this project that we're here to talk about today, uh, and I thought it was just an incredible idea so I wanted to get involved and here I am. I've got another quick question. How did the name come about? Reality Check Productions. Whose idea it was? So that was mine. I was thinking of kind of a variation of names and different different ideas for names. I didn't want to put anything with like something something VR in it because I thought the those kind of names were popular initially, but like as the industry grows and becomes more normalized they'd look quite dated. Um you know, it's X or Y VR. Pers- that was just my personal opinion at that at that point. Um, I then got on to two different kind of names as Beyond Reality and then Reality Check with the two that I kind of um, kind of dropped down onto. Um, and then 
looking at it, uh, reality check just kind of fitted more personally with with, uh, with with what I wanted to do. And I also just quite like the phrase, having a reality check. It just kind of sits quite nicely. And the other thing I wanted was to have the word reality in there somewhere. So even if the name wasn't something, something VR, virtual reality, X, X Y, Z, like you got an indication from the name as to the medium it was involved in without shoving it down someone's throat. Um, so that's kind of how the name came about. Then I did a Google search and it wasn't taken. That's quite lucky. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah. Uh, it's got deep meaning. It definitely fits the whole immersive yeah. agenda. That's kind of it, what I thought. I think that um, one of the things that really excites us from in terms of where we're coming to VR from, in terms of sort of more storytellers, we come coming at it from a theatre background. The idea of the reality check is this sort of really interesting um, sort of potential that you have with VR to question what is and isn't real because unlike any other medium you can really place people in a situation where you can trick them into uh sort of believing that they're somewhere else and so the idea of that sort of reality check and blurring the boundaries of what is and isn't real um with vr and sort of even you know especially with ar and those kinds of things is sort of really at the core of what we do yeah and what's quite nice is the productions when we talk to people is already starting to get taken off. So people are already starting to know us as reality check, which I quite like as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom, I know you already touched on a moment when you got hooked with the whole VR concept. How about you guys? What was your first memorable experience? What was the moment when you realized, shit, this is really something special, something different? I think for me was... Um before my first headset experience was actually the conversation I was having with Tom um, when he was telling me his idea for what he wanted to do and what he wanted to set up. And he seemed really, really excited. And I'd known him at this point for a few years. Um, and there was something really infectious about how enthusiastic he was. And then my first sort of real experience of it was um, I'd gone to Tom's house for dinner and he had a sort of 360 camera which recorded the dinner that we were having um, and then played it back for me on a headset which was the most surreal experience because um, I think especially coming from the background of theatre and film no matter how much he was trying to explain it I was just like I couldn't I couldn't get it I kept losing that whole sort of 360 feel in my head um, but seeing it for the first time was unbelievable. It was really, really, really exciting. I remember when we at that dinner, it was a little Samsung, the first kind of Samsung Gear 360, and we just had to put on a tripod in the middle, and there was three of us, and Robin was also there. And I remember, so I put the kind of little clips onto the headset, and we got up and watched it. And I remember you standing up, and the first time you were standing in my living room, looking around. But the moment when you realised that you could look at any one of the three of the us yeah. for the whole dinner, like you weren't just going, oh, now here's Tom, now here's Robin, now here's yeah. me. You were like, so Robin's speaking over there and you were able to watch my reactions to what he was, to what he was saying or yours and that kind of agency. I remember you saying like, you were just like, oh, I'm just watching you and then watching it again. Like, now I'm just going to watch you. And then watch again. Now I'm just going to watch you all the way through. And there was that kind of feeling. It was amazing. Yeah, that was, I think, the thing that just really struck me was in this sort of platform, this medium, the way the relationship between the audience and what they're watching changes completely. Um, yeah, that just blew my mind. For me, I, again, it was Tom who who sort of presented me with my first experience of VR and 
it was um, in the same flat. So actually Tom and I were housemates at this point and he just got really into VR and he was like, mate, come on, you got to try this out. I'd been away working abroad for a while and I got back. And to be honest, I was really quite surprised that Tom was still interested in this whole VR thing. I was like, oh, wow, you're still still on still on that, are you? And he was like, look, just try it out. It's, honestly, it's better than you think. And I was like, okay, fine, let me try something. And the first thing that he put on was this Jurassic, like Jurassic World had just been out or something. And there was an experience with dinosaurs. And I was literally sat there on the sofa and I started like flinching back. And I was like, no, the dinosaur is right there. <laughs> I was like freaking out. I was like, I can touch it. I can touch it. I can touch it. What is going on? And I was like, I'd never had such a visceral reaction to any kind of like, any sort of form of entertainment in my life. Like, the closest I've probably been to that would be something along the lines of like circus or immersive theatre or something where, you know, you're presented with something right in your face. Um, and so it, it, it hit something with me and I was like, okay, this, this is a powerful tool. It then took me another year to actually agree to work with him, but I was still like, this is, yeah, this got a lot of potential. So my next question is, what encouraged you guys to launch the company? You've tried the first experience. Um, I can tell that you really enjoyed it. Um, what, what was the thinking behind, um, I want to go and make something like this or perhaps something different that you haven't seen before? So when it got, when it launched, it was looking for a way to express creatively myself without wanting to sound too, you know, ridiculous. We're looking for a new way of, of kind of creative expression. And I was kind of searching for that time, yeah, work in theatre, et cetera. And found this opportunity and saw the amount of potential and possibility and saw all the, the figures that everyone kind of quotes about growth of the industry, where it's going to go and how early it was and how much of an infant industry it was. And also, I remember looking at the Oculus website when it was Oculus Story Studio. And just before I set up the company, and it was like, they just done, oh, I can't even what it's called now, the, the, the piece they'd done. But anyway, they, they shared all their findings from this piece of work they'd done. They were like, here's all the information, here's all the knowledge that we've learned. And also people like John were putting out their cinematic VR field guide. And there were all these big companies who were in, already in the space were sharing all this information and this knowledge and saying to people, come on, learn, kind of work and develop uh, content. And that made me really excited. That was this opportunity to create work, kind of narrative storytelling based work, in a medium where people are actively looking to collaborate at, with, at all levels, actively looking to share information and actively looking to like push boundaries within the work they're doing. And, and, and that the kind of the ceiling, there was no kind of glass ceiling within that. Um, so that's kind of really what motivated me to, to set up Reality Check Productions. Also, this is kind of this bug that I'd got for the media. Um, but I really love that kind of collaborative, open sharing basis that the industry allowed for, um, which I, I, I found really, really exciting when I, when, I kind of, when I set it up. At which point you've realised that I would like to collaborate with someone, uh, I would like to work with someone else on this. Was it like a bit of a coincidence or was it like all pre-planned in advance? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I knew I needed to work with other people, but going into something where I didn't really know what was going to unfold and I had so much learning to do personally, I worked both with both Kudzi and Pip professionally and trained with them and we kind of know each other creatively very well and I really felt like it was important to work with people who I trusted um, implicitly 
their opinion and their creative output and what the way what that they're, they're what they think about the way stories can be expressed and the human condition and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I thought it was really important to work with people I trusted because I knew it was a long process. I knew it wasn't going to be immediate. I knew I was in this to really delve in there and figure out the best way to use this new medium and to learn. And I knew that I'd be, it'd be really difficult to even get off the ground. Um, so then I, so when I, I straight away, I was, I was talking to Pip about it. I was like, I'd love to get involved. I'd love to get involved. Took a while and I, I got in touch with Kudzi. I was like, you know, I trust you and I, and I really respect, respect the way you work, the way you think and the way you write and the way, the way you express stories. So they really were the first two people I wanted to work with. And that's, yeah, so it was always, always intent. I was always conscious that that's what the kind of the first port of call was get people who I trusted and who I respected a bit completely. I'm curious to hear how all the roles have been decided. You know, was it kind of, let's just do what needs to be done and then everybody just fell naturally into their particular role, specific, specific responsibilities, or was it quite a little bit more kind of uh, thought through process and discussed in advance? I don't know, just mm -hmm. can you share a little bit more about that? I'll jump in. Um, I mean, firstly, to, to sort of preempt what I am about to say, I think that as a team, uh, we all work very collaboratively and very flexibly and very freely anyway. So especially from the backgrounds that we've all come from, um, you know, we all trained as actors um, and then have gone into that. And then sort of like I myself realized that within productions that I was working on as an actor, you know, I was like, I, I could do a better job of that. And so I decided to start doing producing and one thing led to another. And I've never had a point other than deciding to go to drama school. I've never had a point in my life where I've said like, this is what I want to do. This is my role. And these, this is a remit of the work that I do. And I think that the same kind of applies for all of us. We're all very just like hands-on flexible people. So while we do kind of present uh, like uh roles that we have um, that kind of mostly comes is draws on what our strengths are from our backgrounds and what we've ended up doing the most of. So um, Kudzi has this really, really strong background in writing, having been through the Royal Court Writers Programme. Um, that's definitely one of her strengths. She's also an incredible actress and also just an amazing people person and a producer. So it's not necessarily that we have like defined roles. It's easy for people to understand um, kind of who we are and to get an idea of the company if we do label ourselves slightly. But I think that's part of the beauty of VR in that it's sitting in this position, which is like halfway between the corporate world and the creative world. Um, and so, yeah, we have kind of titles and positions within the company, but it's so much more flexible. Do you know what I mean? We really share the work as much as we possibly can, because if one of us comes in with an idea one day and it's not necessarily their role to be coming up with ideas, you know, it's their role to be like looking for money. It's not like we're going to say like, mm, actually, do you know what? It's not, that's not really, it, we work very collaboratively. Yeah, I would, I would second that completely. And especially because um, it's such a new, in terms of the industry and all the different paths that you could go down, this is such a new format that there is so much to learn and so I think that is actually the beauty of the being the three of us and the flexibility that we found because it's you know it's only the three of us and there is so much to do that you do have to be flexible um 
And it's just, I think it's worked to our advantage so far that we've worked in the way that we have. But yeah, as Pip said, I think it's more for other people understanding what we do, that we've tried to um, differentiate our roles. Can we talk about your very first project, Macbeth? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us everything. How did this come about? The idea of Macbeth came around from going to kind of like loads of um, talks and conferences and... First of all, looking at different options. We, I mean, Pip talked about different versions. We talked about a, a different cultural art show. We talked about this. We talked about all sorts of things, like started throwing things around. And so that Pip, Pip could see it's, we'd been sitting writing some new writings some scripts and some ideas for some kind of episodic work and figuring out that would be the one. And it was kind of just comes about when sitting in um, conferences and talks and hearing how many times people referenced storytelling within the medium. And then how many times people reference the kind of the narrative structure and the, the, the performance structure and the, the, the nature of the medium and its similarities to theatre. Like people kept mentioning this. So I sat there and kind of sat there and thinking, well, okay, let's, we're talking similarity to theatre. We're talking a new form of storytelling. Let's look at one of the greatest storytellers in the theatre and see if that works. We all have, that's all three of our backgrounds is, is largely classical theatre as well, like Pip producers, site-specific Shakespeare plays. I've been involved in those as well. And certain Kudzi's always worked. We've all three of us have worked on a lot of Shakespeare. Um, so that's where it came from. And then told Pip about the idea and we started delving into the script of Macbeth. And it just, the pieces fitted into place quite quickly for a piece of work that could really flourish, I thought. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would say um, Macbeth is one of the plays that I've always wanted to do professionally. There's no definitive version of Macbeth out there. There are some incredible versions of Macbeth out there. There are some also awful versions of Macbeth out there, but it's so open to interpretation and it's so adaptable and it's so exciting that sort of a lot of people feel like it's there for them to to use and to try to put their own spin on it. And so for that reason, that's why you can never say like, oh, that was the best version of Macbeth. That is the definitive Macbeth or he is Macbeth. Um, It's just, it's such a brilliantly um, exciting, adaptable, flexible play. Um, But there are so many things within it that are really, really difficult to do, like just really difficult to achieve, especially on a stage when you start talking about witches and like Hubble bubble, toil and trouble. And you, you know, you know, you start thinking about all the cliches that have been sort of produced over the years. And we just loved the idea of this challenge of taking it on in a completely new medium and saying like, I wonder whether with this opportunity of creating a version of this story that has never been done like this before. I wonder whether we might be able to solve some of those challenges and come up with really original, exciting, not answers, that's hugely presumptuous, but um, sort of options for how, how, how to, how to tell this story. Um, And that, that I think when we were sort of sitting down throwing around ideas, it was that was the most exciting thing. It was just the potential for um, taking something that is obviously, you know, globally renowned. It's 
one of the most famous stories ever and putting it in this sort of exciting new medium. And also, uh, to add to all of that, um, the language of, of Shakespearean plays lends itself so well to this format, um, and in particular the story of Macbeth, because, as I was saying, the one thing about VR that you notice immediately is how much it changes the relationship between um, the audience and the action that's happening. Um, and it kind of takes away that separation um, and really makes you feel like you are in the story. Um, and there's so many elements of that in Macbeth, whether it's the asides or the direct addresses to the audience um, or that element of the sort of omnipresent supernatural. Um, and so this story in particular lends itself so well because there's so many ways of playing with the audience experience. Um, and I think that's what we're really, really excited about with this one um, because of all the Shakespeare's um, I think it's just going to work so so well. Another th and one more thing on like the on the text and on the actual language. When working with um, with Shakespearean text, there's a couple of things. Like first of all, all the the scenes take place in one location. Like they're, they're, they're long scenes. They they take place for five ten minutes long at times. You know, and in one location and. VR is known for having an issue with cuts. That's one of the big, a lot of people still say that, that cuts don't really work. They're okay, some people have figured them out, some people have done interesting ways of moving the action from place to place, but that kind of filmic way of framing a story doesn't really work because you're going from time to time to time, place to place to place to, to, to frame the story. Whereas in Shakespeare's work, they're all set in a bank, it, like the banquet hall's like 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long, it's in one, one location. And you don't have to shift around. And also the other thing with the language is that the words in themselves are beautiful and they conjure up images and setting and location just in what is written. So you have so much scope then to just trust the language, even when you're expressing it in a new, in a new medium. Um, because if people just listen to the language, they can get the sense of being in a forest. They can get the sense of being on the heath because of the way it's described. And I think that's really helps with this, with this medium and transferring something to a medium that people are learning. We're trying to figure out how to tell a story because you can trust the language, and it'll tell you where you are and how you feel. It sounds to me like you found a perfect project for the VR format. Um, now I'm curious to hear more about what were your initial steps setting up the production and at what stage you are at at the moment and where are you heading? Can you tell me a little bit more about it? The initial steps for setting up the production were go to the script, go to the text. Um, and that's what we're going to be, be keeping honest to all the way through is the actual story, the actual text as, it, as it's written and lifting out of that the story and how we will express it. And the very first thing that we found and we kind of settled on as a central idea is the supernatural and the witches and being able to, within the entire experience, embody the supernatural. So in the scenes where there are the three witches, you will be the third witch and the lines will come from yourself speaking to two other witches. And it's great because this is set up in the very first line of the play. It says the very first line of the play is, when shall we three meet again? If you're in a space, pitch black spaces, we're going to have it with two witches looking at you saying, when shall we three meet again? The audience already knows instantly. They have a quick look around and like, I'm the third witch. It's pretty, it's pretty instant. It's the first line tells you it, which we just thought was such a, was, was really wonderful. And then also having the text come 
the, the, the words come from that person when they're, they're doing their lines. So yeah, when the witches exist and the witches' scenes are happening, you are the third witch. But then also the witches give the prophecy to Macbeth and Banquo that drives the rest of the action. They are the main drivers of, of the whole story. And you're, we're going to set it up that you're an ever-present onlooker on the action. You're always present as the supernatural. And this is then going to be realized by the use of direct address. So when, when Macbeth's in his kind of the, the most difficult moments of the piece, of the play, he's going to turn and look straight in your eyes and ask you for help. Say, what should I be doing? What do you think? What, you know, really delving into that connection. And this is going to be great. And then also Lady Macbeth will be able to do the same thing. She'll be able to turn and speak to the witches when she's like, come you spirits and sex me here. You know, she has these lines asking the, the witches to strip her of all her kind of womanly galls or whatever the line may be. Um, and that's going to be really powerful. Then also we're going to be able to do a really, what we think is quite an exciting scene, the, the kind of quite famous banquet scene where Macbeth sees the ghost of Banquo. Um, we are going to embody the ghost of Banquo in that scene because you're, he's a supernatural entity, he's a ghost. You're going to be the ghost of Banquo and Macbeth's going to be saying the lines to you directly with the kind of intensity on his face. And that could be really, really, hopefully really powerful. So that's kind of one of the central kind of elements. And then when we set it up, it kind of was a, kind of basically putting a solid treatment together, wasn't it? With all the ideas, that was the very first stage, get a real detailed document together, treatment with some kind of outlining all our ideas and then getting out there and finding collaborators. Can we talk a little bit more about your collaborations? Um, are you guys partner up with anyone? Um, are you, you know, how you're going to capture it? Is it going to be CG-based-like experience, or is it going to be a linear experience captured on camera, or perhaps a combination of both? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, one of the first things that we realised as a company was that, you know, we need, to, to achieve what we want to do, we need to collaborate with people. Like, everyone, it's, it's, everyone is learning what they're doing in VR anyway, um, and most people are niching. So, you know, um, we needed, we wanted to find... Um, sort of tech specialists in terms of image capture, uh, sound specialists, and the, uh, um, sort of uh, how do I put it? I guess well, one of our one of our sort of main ideas for the final release is having a sort of live theatrical sort of event that combines um, that com combines the captured image with live performance, and then also digital um, representation of that digital performance within a live space. Uh, all of these things require so many brains and so many specialists that we never, you know, from the word go, we were never intending to sort of sit on this and be secretive and try to do it all ourselves. The very first thing we have we did was to reach out to people. Um, and I think we've been extremely fortunate. Like some of the partners that we have on board already are just the like the most exciting people working in the industry and um you know people who we who who we meet and put the ideas to it's um really exciting to hear then what other people are inspired to do with the project so yeah we have um we have some amazing partners um and i uh, won't name any names now but 
Um, we're really excited about what could potentially happen. At the same time, I don't want, you know, I, I, I want to stress that we're always sort of looking for more partnerships, for more collaborators. We're always looking to be inspired further and to push the boundaries of what is possible with this project is, I think it's got the potential to be huge, uh, to be groundbreaking, but I don't want to in any way for this to sort of to be a, an insular project. I want it very much to be a collaborative process where so many people with amazing ideas and creative talent come together to prove in a way the potential for um, sort of immersive technology, immersive mediums um, and what can be done. I think that individually lots of people have shown the capabilities already and I feel like everyone's kind of looking for the big project to put it all together and sort of showcase really what can be done. Um, and certainly from like some of the ideas that are floating around at the moment, there is a lot that can be done. Um, yeah. Especially, especially with the new headsets that are coming out and these standalone headsets that are about to be released, which is kind of what we've always said we're optimizing it for. We've always kind of had the aim to optimize it for the new standalones, we kind of have six degrees of freedom and these kind of elements involved in them and how we could explore those headsets and the kind of the future of VR. The other thing I was going to say was that um, on top of what both Tom and Pip have said, um, the thing to really understand about what we're doing with Macbeth as well, and it's what we've wanted to do as a company, um, especially coming from a background of, of theatre and storytelling, is that everything we're doing is coming from the text. One of the first things we did was do an initial first draft edit of the entire story. And so the ideas that have come from, whether it's visual things or realising that three worlds exist at the same time, um, um, and even the technical things that we're thinking of doing and brainstorming about it's all coming from the text so what we're not doing is going oh vr really really cool format let's just impose it on a story a lot of what we're finding and hopefully i hope the experience that our collaborators will have um which i hope will be a real joy is that there is so much that comes from the text whether it's describing the things that can be seen that can be heard um journeys and stuff like that so it's not just going to be imposing um you know a really cool techie skill on a story um a lot of it in fact all of it comes from the story suggesting it in the first place and that's why it's gonna work my next thought is it sounds to me like it's a really interesting and ambitious project and as the old saying goes it takes a village to raise a child this is a a big demanding child as far as I'm concerned, uh, also financially and time-wise. And obviously going for multiple collaborations is probably a really clever, sm smart way of going about it. I'm curious to hear like what you were planning about funding the project. What, what would be the initial steps? Would it be like a, a, a crowd-funded or angel-funded venture or perhaps something else? So we've been... Fun looking for funds and trying to figure out our best avenue for fundraising for the last four months, really since Christmas was when we kind of pushed on with that part of part of part of the process. Um, initially, we have been 
kind of going through the, the government backed things. So Arts Council for some development funds and kind of Creative XR that was done. We kind of put it in, in amongst amongst the the applications for that um, for kind of a development stage. Um, we are hoping to kind of get uh, funded from maybe a kind of a hardware hardware platform. So it, you know it's kind of funded from within the industry as a piece of work that can be seen by the hardware platforms to promote the medium and attract audiences to the medium because that's a global reach. You know, it's, it's Macbeth is huge in, not Macbeth, Shakespeare is big in China, it's big in across Europe, it's big in um, America, RSC, the globe, they tour these countries constantly. Um, so that's one thing we think this project has going for it, they can, the way it can promote the VR medium. Um, there's also the audience of the future, um, government fund that's just been set up, the 33 million that's been set aside. We're thinking of how we can put the project in for that competition and see if we can get government support for it and government assistance because it's a risky private investment. You know, VC funding is not going to really fund something like this. Uh, private equity is difficult. Raising the volume of money in a crowdfund is going to be difficult. We really, I think, combination of government backing and hardware platform backing will really sort of seize this project over the line potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think we really are exploring all different avenues and in the same way as with uh, collaboration, we don't know what um, tomorrow is going to offer ever. Um, so we've you know, had a lot of exciting leads and opened really exciting correspondences with a lot of different people who've got really exciting ideas about how the money could be raised. Um, and I think a lot of it is just, is, is exactly the same as developing the project is um, at the same time, we've got to develop um, a sort of a delivery treatment as well as a sort of a production treatment because there's so much to think about that hasn't been thought about up until now, you know, um, how does someone, how do you release and distribute a feature length VR project? And um, what's the audience? Is the audience big enough? Um, how can you sort of diversify on um, what it is that you then have to deliver? Um, and we're sort of, again, just really open to exploring everything about it. It's such a um, such an unknown, but also such an exciting world where there isn't a rule book. So you can't, it, you know, it's not like funding a film, for example, when, where there's a sort of a pretty um, straightforward um, template. template, exactly, mm -hmm. of how it is done. It's Everyone's kind of figuring it out, figuring it out for themselves. And I mean, you know, you can't write off something like VCs because every day there's a new VC opening that is specializing in VR and then there's also one closing every day. But it's it's just it's such a such a minefield out there that um I, I, we're just sort of figuring it out and enjoying the process as well because it really makes us think laterally about like what can we deliver? What is monetizable about this project? Um, who's it for, why are we making it, and why are they going to enjoy it?
I was going to say, um, and, in, and another part of that, and I think it's the reason we keep forging ahead, is because as much as this is so new, and I think that is what makes people slightly hold back, even though they get really excited and interested, um, is that I think, and I think we all believe this, that really in a few years, this is going to be one of the ways in which people are definitely accessing content. So this is something that I think is going to happen anyway, and it is definitely the future um, of, you know, part of like having entertainment. Um, and there's a massive um, educational potential mm. for it as well. Um, and I think it is just kind of being one of the first to do it. <laughs> and then everyone realizing, oh, this can be done and it mm. should be done and we need to do more of it. Um, so it, it is kind of, we're at that point where we know it's going to work. And it will, and you know, there is an audience for it. And actually it will be a global audience, much like film, but it's just taking that first step in terms of, you know, investment coming in and taking the step on us. Um, that's just what needs to happen because if we don't do it, somebody else will definitely do it at some <laughs> point. And people I think are gonna be kicking themselves thinking, oh, that project was there, you know? Um, so I think it's definitely gonna happen. So this brings us nicely to my next question. Uh, we touched on, you know, the fi financial challenges. You know, the projects of uh, of this scale do require a lot of resources, and we also briefly touched on like technical execution. But um, I would like to come back to that again later. I'm just curious, uh, Kudi, have you come across any other unexpected challenges besides those two? It's it sounds really silly, but because of my background with theatre, and I was reading a theatre play. When I was initially editing, I think I thought it was going to be relatively straightforward <laughs> in terms of just focusing on the language and taking the bits that are really crucial. But there is something about reading a story and then imagining it playing out in 360, which sounds a lot like theatre, except the filming element of it is what was throwing me. And I think that's when it hit me how big this project is. Um, and I, so actually the editing of it was, I knew it was going to be a challenge, but actually was an even bigger challenge than I was expecting and was taking a lot, a lot longer um, than I thought it would. Um, I think a positive, it's been a challenge, but it's been like a positive challenge is, is probably the fact that it being the three of us and trying to find this money, trying to make this happen. And as Pip said earlier, having to think laterally, there's been moments where we've just suddenly harnessed a whole set of skills that, you know, I personally never thought, you know, I'd, I'd be looking at funding applications in such detail, thinking about things like Gantt charts, uh, but kind of have, <laughs> in the last sort of six months, have acquired a whole host of skills that I never thought I needed or would use, but are actually really, really crucial and important. Um, and so that's been a wonderful challenge. And also the challenge of networking. It's something you've got to do. You've got to get comfortable mm. with it. It's never easy. Um, and, you know, when you're having to do it, you always feel like you'd rather be anywhere else. But it has been invaluable to this whole process, just putting ourselves out there, meeting people, having conversations. Um, and I think it's worked in our favour, but it's definitely been a challenge because it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> My next couple of questions are kind of um, addressing all of you guys. So 
feel free to jump in and let us know what you think. Um, so first of all is what's in store for you personally as well as for, for the company? And can you share what are your predictions and hopes? I would love to see. I I, I would. I'd love to get this this project up and going. I'd love to hit production. Um, and to be, uh, just seeing it come to life would be such an incredible experience. After so there's been just so much thought and work and writing, um, you know, has has gone into it that I think to see it come to life would just be the most incredible experience, um, not to mention actually seeing it finished. But beyond that, I think sort of as a side note to maybe getting this into production, it would be really nice to um, eventually find some time to start working on the rest of our slate of projects and you know like there's so many ideas that have been there that really excite us and you know from time to time we're just like oh, I've got this amazing idea and it's like okay great put it to one side we'll come back to it and it'd be I'm really <laughs> looking forward to being able to sort of be like okay so that idea um we'll come back and open that box yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for myself, I think the one thing this process has made me realise is just how much there is to learn. Um, and I think coming at it from a writing angle in particular, I'm very keen to just carry on writing, um, sort of enhancing on relationships and stuff with connections that I've made recently, just so that I keep keep that skill going so it gets better and better and better and hopefully can deliver bigger things for our company um but also i mean i very much think macbeth vr will be made someone out there is going to have a light bulb moment <laughs> and realize they need to finance this project because honestly like i said before if we don't do it someone else is going to do it at some point it is definitely the future um so i think it will come to pass at some point this is going to exist um and it's going to be accessible globally my final question to all of you guys, well, sounds like you've been through tons of new experiences and picked up quite a few new skills and whatnot. I'm curious to hear from every single one of you, what was the most valuable thing that you've learned, realized, understood along the way that you could pass on to someone else as a piece of advice? For me, it was, um, I suppose, coming at this from my background as primarily an actor than a producer, um, it was always having a slight fear of just picking up the phone or sending the email that you want to send to that one person who you think will make a big difference to what you're doing and not to be apologetic for your ideas and to have real... Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But belief in in the in the quality and the integrity of what it is that you're doing, um, because so many times along this process, there have been people who we've contacted who I've just thought, oh, they're just so out of our league. They're not going to be interested at all in what we're doing. You know, we're not even gonna gonna get a response. Um, and yeah, sometimes we didn't get a response, but that's the worst that could happen. A lot of the times these incredible people that we're desperate to work with mm. got back to us and we've met with them and we've exchanged ideas and, you know, we're now working with some of them. And I think the one thing that this project so far has really taught me is just, just do it. Just like, just get in touch with whoever it is you want to get in touch with. Be proud of your ideas, 
follow through um, and yeah the worst thing that could ever possibly happen is you get a no um i think for me not dissimilar to what you've just said pip i think for me um a real big lesson has been basically the upside <laughs> of being flexible <laughs> but being constant so we know what our idea is and we know what we want to do um i think as you know a trio it's paid off being flexible in our roles and what we need and kind of having all hands on deck when it's necessary um and that thing of just forging ahead um but also being patient for the fact that things don't always work out the way you want them to but i don't think anything has happened that we've thought that was a waste of time um even if it hasn't been mm. you know the result we wanted nothing has been a waste of time and you can learn from absolutely everything um especially because this hasn't been done before um and yeah that thing of imposter syndrome when you're standing in a room or you're talking to people and you're thinking you know <laughs> you're a really big important person yeah you've got to get over that because you just get in your own way um so yeah, that that I think is what I mainly take away from all of this. Yeah, I can't agree more. Having a proper crit is one of the most fundamental skills in pretty much anything. If you want to go beyond an average distance, whatever that might be. What about you, Tom? Um, I think largely the same, to be honest. Like completely, this completely the same sentiment and think the exact same thing. You know, picking up, like sending those emails, really pushing forward, not being scared to get in touch with anyone, and being proud of what you're doing. I think is really. Um, really important um but also doing the work you know doing the work to get it to really if you've got an idea put it down on paper in detail and go into detail break it down like don't half ass that 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 treatment which is what got us along like this this idea we put it down and we really in quite an academic way expanded what we're looking to do and I think that's what I've learned in this. If you, if if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, do the work, and make every element, every sentence you write as the best it can be. Um, whether it be a, a funding application, a treatment, an edit of the script, an email, yeah, do the work, and things will things will it'll pay off. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell with guests Tom Windsor, Pip Brignall and Kuzi Chihuahua. This episode was produced by Abigail Bircham, Gillian Duffy, Oliver Cadell and Giacomo Corpino and included music by Nobs Bergamo. If you enjoyed listening, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. The podcast is also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.